Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, episode number 33. Find the biggest form of kindness towards my own spirit that I could. Once I could do those things, then it's it's the next step. It was being honest with myself, allowing myself to genuinely feel all of the emotions that come from being paralyzed and stuck in a bed in your own shit, not able to feed yourself. The next step is, okay, what's the next step? It's not looking forward and trying to 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 walk, that's for certain. When your legs don't move, it, the, the most logical thing is not dreaming of of achieving running again it's sort of like it's sort of like trying to create an art project you 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 sure you envision the ultimate goal but in order to get there especially if it's a really big project if you only focus on the large goal it becomes overwhelming really fast and it can become really really disheartening and discouraging really quickly if if all i wanted to do was get up and dance and all i was thinking about was how i used to be able to do that i would have killed myself back when i had a little i thought that i needed a lot a little was overrated but a lot was a little too complicated see zero didn't satisfy me a million didn't make me happy That's when I learned the lesson That it's all about your perceptions Hey, are you a papa or a superstar? So you act, so you feel, so you are It ain't about the size of your car It's about the size of the faith in your heart There's hope It doesn't cost a thing to smile You don't have to pay to laugh You better thank God for that it doesn't cost a thing to smile You don't have to pay to laugh You better thank God for that There's hope Up in the back country of Brazil I met a young brother that made me feel That, that I could accomplish anything You see, just like me he Welcome to, to the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast The podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello everyone. This is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast. And we're coming at you with another episode this week. And this week's episode is gonna be with the lovely Rita Maldonado. Um, she's a really cool person when you get to meet her. Um, I've got the chance to teach at her festival in Moab not too long ago for the last two years and it's been really an awesome time. Her energy is almost magnetic, infectiously, I guess filled with gratitude and appreciation of life and things like that. And she has a very interesting story um, just with life in general, let alone about the dance part of life. And I really wanted to bring her on the podcast to share her story because I feel it's very, very inspirational. And that's what this podcast is all about. It's all about sharing the stories uh, that really mold us as people and as dancers. And sometimes you pick up on those stories if you happen to be about 
in the festival or in the workshop or happen to catch a cup of coffee with them. But with the platform of this podcast here with the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, I get to kind of put those stories on a on a pedestal, if you will. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Miss Rita. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. Thank you. How's your day going so far? Oh, so far so good. So far so good. I, I, uh, the weather's great here in Moab. I've had my coffee. I've had my breakfast. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's it's all around a beautiful day. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I know that you've been going through some obstacles since the festival uh, back in November. <laughs> but it's good that those things have been kind of ironed out, and now we're able to kind of get together and and chat a little bit with our audience and and give them a chance to share your story. Yeah. Yes. All right. So for our audience who hasn't heard about you, um, let's go ahead and give them a little snapshot of what you do today in the dancing. All right. Well, my name, I go by Hurricane Rita. It's Aurita Maldonado. Mm-hmm. I, um, I teach salsa, bachata, body movements here in this tiny town, Moab, Utah. And I'm also the director of the Moab Salsa Bachata Festival, which is a fusion of dance and adventure in a magnetically healing, beautiful location of the world, Moab, Utah. Mm -hmm. It's a stay weekend. And um, being that I've spent eight and a half years in the Army, I uh, am offering... I offer the festival free to all veterans over Veterans Day weekend to to offer veterans an opportunity to gain some passion for art and dance and communication and to have a safe place to just come and be over Mm -hmm. Veterans Day weekend because we all know how amazing dance can be in focusing energies away from negativity and into ourselves and our bodies and the beauty of being alive. Yes, definitely. That's what I do, essentially, is I am creating dance festivals that, that fuse dance and adventure with positivity and a simple gratitude for movement. Um, and Dance Moab is my little business. I mm-hmm. began it in 2013 when I moved here. And it's a result of a need for my own physical and emotional therapy. So essentially, Dance Moab is is an opportunity for myself to get up and move with other people who choose to dance with me. Definitely. That's awesome. Um, dance has definitely been a therapy to many of us, including myself, and I'm sure for our listeners that we have right now on this particular podcast. So now that we have a little bit of understanding of what you do today, let's go ahead and go and take a trip down memory lane to when you first got introduced to dance. Where were you uh, at that particular time in the, in the globe in that time in your life? And what did dance provide for you when you first started back then? The first time I considered dancing was, it was 2005. It was in early March, late February of 2005 in Baghdad, Iraq. I, there was a, a salsa night at the FOB, the forward operating base where I was stationed um, with First Cav Division. And 
I wasn't able to go to this salsa night because I was out on a mission. And I came back and realized, man, I really want to dance. So when I came back to the States, I lived in Colleen, Texas, and realized quickly that, like, if I had made it back from Iraq, I probably shouldn't keep squandering my time. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted to do something, I should probably just get up and do it because nobody was going to do it for me. Mm-hmm. So I just started dancing. I went out and I started dancing. I went to the club. The first guy that I danced with stopped me in the middle of dance and asked me a little scornfully, what are you doing? And I realized that perhaps I wasn't doing the right thing. <laughs> I would have to do a little training and also learn about dance. So I came back from Iraq not knowing that I needed a hobby, not knowing that I wasn't, I was scared to go to sleep. I, I learned how to do a lot of things when I first came back in 2005. And I was a cryptologic Korean linguist at the time with the military. I was going to Monterey, California to learn some Chinese Mandarin, mm-hmm. some Mandarin Chinese. And... When I went out there, I had, I just started getting to know the local community and I began dancing with them and training with them with Monterey Salsa. And I started going out to Hot Salsa Fridays in, in San Jose and training with uh, with some of the dancers from PB&G. And I just, I just fell in love with the community of dancers that... That could just step away from the drama of society and jump into a song and just move to it. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm pretty sure there are some things to overcome with your experience and time in the military as well. And we'll get a little into that further down the podcast. But before we go down your dance journey, I do want to let people know your extensive kick-ass running career that you had before you were deployed to the military. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what running has has done for you in your life, because I think it's pretty awesome. (laughs) Well, geez, running has been movement, Mm -hmm. I guess. I've been addicted to movement since I was tiny. Mm -hmm. My father was told when I was when I was four years old that I was going to be difficult to control And I'd really, he should probably put me on some medication because I had way too much energy and I would, I would be it would just be a tough time for him. And thank goodness he never listened. Um, And because I found myself with an unending, unending amount of energy as a small person. And I fell in love with running in seventh grade. I, I was, I went to Milton Hershey school. It's a boarding school in Hershey, Pennsylvania, created by Milton's Navely Hershey. And the, the, it's funded by the Hershey company. And um, he was a huge philanthropist. And there I fell in love with cross country running because all you had to do in cross country running was decide not to stop and go a little faster every single step, you know, just push a little harder and decide not to quit. And I can do that. And uh, I, I, I started running, say, 1995. And when I joined the military, I kept running through just about everything. When I went to Iraq, I ran on the FOB, on the Ford operating base that I was stationed at. I started running marathons. I made the All-Army marathon team uh i just ran and i ran quickly (laughs) and and it was something that i i 
I got a lot of accolades for. I um, say in 2010, there was, uh, I went to the Seattle Salsa Congress. The Seattle Salsa Congress is on the same weekend as the Seattle Marathon. So I would do all of the activities of a Salsa Congress from the pre-party all the way until Sunday night. You're finished dancing on Monday morning. But I'd also run a marathon 26.2 miles at you know 7 a.m. on Sunday morning to add to the rest of the things that were happening that weekend. I just, endurance was something I fell in love with and I just wanted to keep challenging myself in every possible way I could. And um, I, I earned the name Hurricane as a result. The Hurricane Rita is not a dance moniker. That's a nickname that was given to me just a result of endless energy. When I came back from, uh, from Iraq and I moved to Monterey, California, uh, I started dancing out there and I was just running all over the place, not sleeping. I had to be at work at 5.15 a.m., but I was finishing my parties at 4 a.m. And the name Hurricane Rita just kind of fit <laughs> and it stuck. Uh, so running has definitely been the biggest catalyst of movement in my life since since I was very young. I was definitely, it was definitely a motivation when I was paralyzed was to learn to run again, was to be able to run again and to be able to, yeah, to be able to move again. And, and it was, it was a really hard thing to be, to be in a wheelchair then knowing, okay. looking at the, the yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, we so, get down. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we're going to have to set the stage for what happened and how you ended up in the military and a wheelchair and how you got paralyzed. So, um, so far you've had this enormous amount of energy and enthusiasm for movement and you've been in the military, you've been dancing, all this is going on and your life obviously took a unexpected sharp twist. Um, so let's go ahead and, and tell the audience that story of what happened and how you became to, how you ended up in a wheelchair. Well, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> I, uh, so I was a crazy runner, ultra runner. By the time 2011 came around, I had run, uh, two mile races. I had, um, placed seventh in the Copper Canyon ultra, ultra marathon. Uh, the Tarumara in Copper Canyon, which is the deepest canyon in the uh, in North America, I um, I had really found a niche. I was really good at it. All I had to do was not stop. <laughs> um, so I uh, I was chosen for a race in I was chosen for a television show in Fiji called Seventy Two Hours. It was it was a uh, it was an adventure race that was promoted on TNT, and essentially it was th- nine people were flown into the jungle, dropped into the jungle, and teams of three were racing against each other towards a $100,000 briefcase that they hid somewhere in the mountains. And I was definitely stoked about this adventure. They offered to pay for my flight out there, and um, that's all. I didn't have to come out of pocket for anything. And at that point, I was just pretty much a contradictory human being. I was a combat wounded veteran 
with about 75 peace signs on my body at any point. You know, I was just a bubbly pink hair having ball of energy. And so they picked me for this TV show and flew me to Fiji. And I ran this race. And it was an epic experience. It was an incredible experience. Except the same day that I found out that I made it onto this race, I found out that my father had killed himself. And this was a really, really tragic thing for me because my father was my only, I grew up with my father and he was my only connection to the step family that he had then married into. And so it was kind of this blessing and tragic moment all at once, like it coupled into this bundle of, of emotions. Oh, and that's crazy. It was insane. So I flew, five weeks after my father shot himself in the head, I flew to Fiji to run this race. And he, my father was the only medically trained person in my family. And so when I went to this, on this race in Fiji, I, uh, I was doing pretty well. And on day three, I ate a slug a snail without a shell that I picked up from a leaf or a rock right by the river. And I popped that thing in my mouth. And it turns out within three weeks, I had uh, my colon and my bladder were shut down by the thousand brain-eating parasites, uh, Andreostrongylus cantonensis, that were inside of the slug. So I ended up with rat lungworm, which is a... I'm yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but was the, I mean, was it normal to just eat the slugs there, like, as part of, like, living off the land, so to speak? Well, I have eaten slugs. I have eaten worms. I have eaten bugs. I didn't think anything of it. I had searched extensively things that could kill me in Fiji. Somehow, someway, I missed this damn point <laughs> that, hey, the slugs out there are not okay. And so my, uh, yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty. I made a mistake. I ate a slug that I shouldn't have eaten. I should have cooked that damn thing, but it had a bunch of brain-eating parasites in it. And what can you do? I made a mistake. And within three days, they were already ripping through my intestines. They were shutting down my colon and my bladder. They had gotten into my meninges in my spine, and they were eating around in there, creating an eosinophilic meningitis. They had gotten into my brain, and they started eating in there, which was messing up my function, and they'd gotten into my heart, my lungs, and they'd paralyzed me from the waist down, and within three weeks, I was 99 pounds with gray skin, a colon and a bladder that was non-functional, and in a diaper, uh, in the most severe pain that I've ever experienced in my life. The skin sensitivity was absolutely insane. I can only imagine. Yeah, a breeze came into the room and I was seriously blood-curdling scream. Like somebody put a, an LED light on my foot and that hurt me to the extent that I was screaming that some, I wasn't watching them, but I was screaming more as they put the light closer to my foot. It was that sensitive. My skin was, was you couldn't touch me. You couldn't open the door of the room I was in without hurting me. Nobody could sit on the bed I was laying on. I couldn't pull myself out of bed. Like, it, it, it was the pins and needles. I don't even have words to truly describe 
the pain that I was put in. And just from, it was so organic, just from eating a bug. I ate a bug and that bug had lots of little bugs in it. And suddenly my body was screaming and not functioning any longer. There I was in my own poop in a wheelchair on Veterans Day 2012, sitting on the sidewalk, not able to push my own wheelchair and not able to feed myself. <laughs> essentially where I ended up. So after this turn of events, like you mentioned how it was a blessing, how you got chosen to go on this trip and actually be sought out after you get your flight paid for to go there. But at the same time, you saw that your dad had passed away and then this happens. So what's what's going on in your mind at that particular point? And what are the, <laughs> what, what, are the, what, what were the next steps that you took to kind of how long did it take you to get back onto the road of recovery, if you will? Gosh, you know, the first two steps, the first two immediate steps were like one it was it was just the recognition of the irony. Since 2007, I've been in love with Paulo Coelho's quote, the danger of an adventure is worth 1,000 days of ease and comfort. I had that written as my, as my signature line on, a, on emails uh-huh, uh-huh. Since, since 2007. And I fully, I quoted it to everyone. The danger of an adventure is worth a thousand days of ease and comfort. The irony of not being comfortable for over a thousand days to be in that much pain as the result of an adventure. It was just so stark in my face that my life has been so circular that, hey, this is what you believe in, right? Says the universe. Let's challenge you, says the universe. You think this is worth it, right? Says the universe. (laughs) And I'm sitting there spinning in circles going, oh my gosh, I set myself up for this. (laughs) So once I recognized that irony, my next step, like genuinely was to treat myself as kindly as I possibly could. I mean, to recognize that I specifically ate that slug that I specifically put that thing in my mouth and chomped on it. And as a result of swallowing that, choosing to swallow that, I was then in a wheelchair. And I had done it to myself, essentially. So the first two steps was, one, to recognize I had done that to myself. And two, to forgive myself for having done that to myself so that I could, could, could move forward. Right? So, like... And that's something that I have to do even now. I mean, it's been four years, but I still constantly am just in this desperate attempt to be as kind to myself for all of my mistakes and the things that I have messed up in in moments, something as simple as losing a document to as, as complicated as getting myself paralyzed four years ago and having to learn how to walk. So those were the first two initial desperate things that I had to do was recognize irony and to just find the biggest form of kindness towards my own spirit that I could. Once I could do those things, 
then it's it's the next step. It was being honest with myself, allowing myself to genuinely feel all of the emotions that come from being paralyzed and stuck in a bed in your own shit, not able to feed yourself. The next step is, okay, what's the next step? It's not looking forward and trying to 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 walk, that's for certain. When your legs don't move, it, the, the most logical thing is not dreaming of of achieving running again it's sort of like it's sort of like trying to create an art project you 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 sure you envision the ultimate goal but in order to get there especially if it's a really big project if you only focus on the large goal it becomes overwhelming really fast and it can become really really disheartening and discouraging really quickly if if all i wanted to do was get up and dance and all i was thinking about was how i used to be able to do that i would have killed myself if all i was thinking about was how my father was gone and how i i i, I just wanted him back i would have definitely had a nine mil for breakfast i just could only focus on what the next step was which was well got to move my feet first then I have to learn how to lift my feet off the ground an inch a half inch then I have to learn how to roll my ankles around I have to learn how to flex my calves then I had to learn how to stand up out of a wheelchair without using my hands which is quite complicated then I had to learn how to bend my legs how to learn how to do calf raises how to learn how to squat again. And I failed a, a ton. I failed more times than I was successful, especially in the very beginning. But you know, when a baby learns how to walk, they fail something like, I don't know, 250, 500, 5,000 times. Yeah, the difference yeah. between a child and a human being that's grown is that we have language. As an adult, I had language and I could chastise myself I could be cruel to myself. I could be kind to myself. It was all a choice of language and how I chose to talk to myself while I was doing it. Like a child, when it it, it falls over at two two years old, there's no, you should be able to do this. You you suck. There's no thought that comes yeah, up like that. Yeah, it just rolls off their back. It just, all right, I fell down. Let's get back up again, you know? Right. It's not even that, though. At two years old, there's no language conceptual. There's no concept of, okay, I have to get up now. It's, okay, trying it again, just it's natural. To me, it was definitely, it was all not in, it was all voluntary. I had to constantly remind myself of where I am right now. Dismiss the thoughts that came up of what I had been and how much of a, a bad situation this was as opposed to just a situation, just what happens in life. I had to check in like 7 million times a flipping day and I still do. Like people all the time are ready to give me credit for being this positive, uplifting, just present human being. Well, that doesn't come naturally. That comes from acknowledging who you are, what you are, what your soul's going through. And then, Stepping outside of that <laughs> and acknowledging that, hey, you know what? Right here, right now, this is a good place to be. It's a constant check-in process. So learning how to walk again, learning how to move my legs, learning how to move my torso, learning how to bend over. 
I have videos of my, I have videos of me making excuses, of me stalling, of me failing. I have constant stuff that even now I have to check back in on and watch every time. Like I've been doing Zook training for the last two weeks. Uh Hard. And there was a day where I was working with Peter Wright and I felt he was, he, he had said something flippantly and and it was true. He said, you're throwing your legs out from your center and, and it doesn't really make sense. You need to keep your body over top of your legs. You, you're putting your weight in these places that doesn't, it's not logical. And he had to say that to me like 15 times over the course of the training that I was doing with him. And by the end of it, I was feeling pretty down. You know, I had allowed it to like, man, I, I'm just, I'm failing at this. I'm not doing it. I should be, I should be better. I was shooting all over myself. I should be able to learn this a little faster. I should be able to get up on my toes a little better. And so what I did, I had to break out those videos of what I was doing just a couple years ago of me learning how to get up on my toes, of me learning how to stand and put my weight on my feet and like stand straight of the physical therapist telling me that I was, I was protecting my core so much that I wasn't going to be able to bend until I stopped getting into that protective posture. Like I had to watch those videos and tears in my eyes, watch those videos. Cause that's what it does. Every time I look at these videos and remember that, all right, right here isn't a bad place to be because I could be there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, your perspective. It's a perspective shift every single time, man. And that's what I did ultimately as I played perspective shifts in order to learn to walk again, in order to learn everything I've learned since then. I've had to look at it. You look at it from one way and then you, you've, you got to switch it. That's definitely yeah. a good lesson for our, our listeners to, to listen to, you know, and just to have, I mean, when you said at the beginning of the podcast, gratitude for movement, you know, it's something that we take for granted. And even when I was sharing with you before, um, I didn't go through such an extensive process, but like with me, when I got sick with my heart surgery, like not being able to get up and go to the bathroom on your own, it's like, man, like that's, that's the hardest it's, thing it's I've ever. Thing, like, oh my god! <laughs> not being self-sufficient, you know, and it's like people wake up with their fully functional arms and legs every day, and they just have like a shitty attitude. It's like you, your, 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 your perspective is is skewed, you know. You're not yeah. you're not viewing the whole perspective, you know. Let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors. Have you been looking to level up your kizomba, but you don't have the local instructors to take you there? Are you looking for something concrete to practice with your kizomba partner? Or are you looking for Kizomba lessons that you can take on your schedule in the comfort of your home? If you answered yes to any of these questions, look no further. LearnToKids.com is what you need. Progressive, step-by-step lessons that you can take at your pace in the comfort of your home or anywhere with a solid internet connection on your PC, Mac, or any smartphone. New videos are added every month. You can try this awesome resource out 30 days free at LearnToKids.com slash podcast. After the 30 days free, it's only a low $15 per month. But again, the special offer for the Dance Your Heart On Fire listeners, 30 days free at learntokids.com slash podcast. You won't find this offer anywhere else. Learntokids.com slash podcast. And now back to our show. There was honestly a time where when I was in Pennsylvania, very first recovering from, from this 
where I went with my walker down the street because I had left my I left my wheelchair at, at the hospital once I finally learned how to walk. And I was walking down the street in my with my walker. I mean, Franken walking. It was ugly. But I had gone in and I had purchased and I have tears in my eyes as I'm saying this to you right now, honestly. I I went in to go get something at the health food store and and I was going to pay and urine just started rolling down my leg. Urine just started coming out and I'm peeing my pants in the store at 20 at 30 years old uh, on a walker and I'm just shocked. My jaw is just kind of slack and I'm trying to pay for this at the same time that I'm also recognizing I'm pissing my pants and I'm sort of this moment where I'm like, you know what? Luckily, I was with somebody else who who could continue paying for me. And I just kind of walked out of the store and shocked, you know, just like, wow, I just did that. Like, that just happened in public. I'm 30 years old. I used to be an ultra runner. You know, all of those thoughts, they don't, they, they cross your mind. It's not, the mind still thinks that way. It's not. Oh, I can walk, la, 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 I am amazing, I just peed my pants in front of you, and that's okay. You know, all of those nasty thoughts came into my mind, and I had two blocks to make it to the house that I was staying at, but by the time I made it back to the house that I was staying at, I found myself smiling and laughing and looking up at the sky at the irony, the cruelty, the ridiculousness of this situation. The fact that I was walking (laughs) back to this house with piss on my legs, with urine running down my legs. And and, and I was just like, man, I anybody who sees me will think I am a nut. Anybody who sees me in the road right now or smells me when I walk by them will have a judgment for me. Guaranteed. Anybody who saw what just happened in there, young people would probably laugh at me. And I was walking back just feeling so uplifted by the fact that I was walking myself back home after peeing my my pants, trying to pay for something. And a couple days later, I went to my young, my, in my childhood's best, she was my best friend as a child. I went to her wedding, um, her, what do you call that? Like her party for her wedding. She was about to have a bridal shower. Oh, the one before, the bridal shower. Okay, I got you. Yeah, I, got, I went to her bridal shower. And I sat down and I had, hadn't seen her in a decade. And I'll be honest with you, I peed myself on her, in her party, on a chair. And I, I had to call her over and say, Laura, I love you. You're, you're amazing. And I have to admit that I just pissed my pants on this chair. And now I have to leave your party now that I've done this to this chair in public at this at this you know restaurant, I now have to walk back in these light khaki pants that are obviously covered in piss all down my legs. I'm going to walk down the street and go home and just accept the fact that I am not um, I, I, my, I have no control over my bladder or my colon at this stage in my life. And I had to pick myself up from there. And Franken walk my way home on a cane at that point. But you know, by then I was beaming. 
I was I was just the irony the the I mean it, who thinks when they're 17 that when they're in 30 they're going to be paralyzed in a diaper incapable of managing their own involuntary functions and explaining yeah, to people openly hey look I'm sorry I just shit on your couch or hey look I'm sorry I just peed on myself Hey, look, I'm sorry. Here's my situation. I was paralyzed and I'm trying. And please just accept me for all of the things that society refuses to accept people for. You know, <laughs> like that's and, and in order to be kind to yourself while you're going through things like that. I mean, I've had to tell myself some interesting stories. You know, the perspective change has had to be pretty extreme. Yeah. And and. Man, it's just been extreme. It's yeah, just it's been extreme. A, it's an extreme, <laughs> powerful story, and I really appreciate all your your vulnerability right now, sharing that with the, our audience and things like that, because they can it, it helps them shift the perspective of all the little things that they take for granted. Um, and sometimes the universe will put you in a situation, so like, hey, like this, this is what these are all the things that you have had that. Now you don't have, you know, like little tiny things, the involuntary actions and things like that. So it's important, you know. Oh, my God. Yes. So you are obviously back up and running and dancing and putting on festivals and things like that. Let's talk a little bit about the Moab Festival, because I think that's a really awesome thing. You, you talked a little bit about that at the beginning of the podcast. Let's talk a little bit about the festival. And then we'll talk a little bit about your future goals here for the podcast as well. Okay. Well, my festival, Moab Salsa Bachata Festival, I put it on Veterans Day weekend because I'm a combat wounded veteran. And I put it in Moab because this is where I chose to recover. And when I showed up in Moab in 2013, there was, there was no dance here. There was no social dance here. And I recognized that I wasn't necessarily going to be able to jump right back into endurance. I still still had problems walking. Um, I had difficulty walking dis- long distances. And so I began a dance scene, slowly but surely. What happened in 2000, last year, 2015, uh, in July, it was brought to my attention that there was potential for me to get some funding to create a dance festival. And so I started thinking about all of the things that I wanted to share with people, all of the things that had happened to me, all of the things that I loved about dance. And I started to think also all of the things that are taken for granted in this world, in this life, in this society right now. And I, I've been to a lot of dance festivals. I've been to some really big, amazing dance festivals and really big, not so amazing dance festivals. And when I left the military, I sold everything I owned, moved into the back of my car and ran away from society up to Haines, Alaska to become a river guide. So I knew that too. (laughs) I knew what I loved about these tiny towns. I knew what I loved about people. I knew what I loved about myself and I knew what I didn't like about what society was expecting everyone to do. And so when I had the opportunity to create the Moab Salsa Bachata Festival, I had this, this, this realization that, you know what? This is my festival. 
This is a festival that I get to create, a party that I get to create for myself, essentially, and for everyone else. That can be exactly what I want it to be with exactly the energy that I want to create in this place. And so I kind of shed all of the expectations that society has put on these festivals of you have to bring the number one person in the world, no matter what their energy is, and your number one dancer and your number seven million and 16 dancer shouldn't be in the same room together and they shouldn't drink and party in the same place together because one bleeds gold and the other only bleeds red. I took all of that and I said, you know what, quite frankly... That's bullshit. You and I, the president of the United States, the most capable athlete, when it comes down to it, being a combat wounded veteran, I know that we all bleed red. All of us bleed red. We We all go through the same traumas, the same dramas, the same insecurities. We all feel them. It doesn't matter if when you first started dancing, you became a superstar or if you first started with two left feet. It does not matter. We started and then we chose a path that then made us into better dancers. So when I created the Moab Salsa Bachata Festival, I saw this platform where I could bring people from all over the United States, all over the world, all level dancers, all types of backgrounds, military, civilians, young, old, into the same beautiful healing scenery that makes you feel really small because there's dinosaur footprints out here that remind you that, hey, those dinosaur footprints will be here when you die. Those dinosaur footprints have been here before you were born. They will continue. If you walk off a cliff, they will continue and not much in this world will change. Moab will remind you of those things. And in that, it makes you more of a human being. So my festival, I specifically drove around and I I went to everybody else's festivals <laughs> and I supported them. And I wanted to learn what to do and what not to do. So I watched festivals and I watched how people were treated and how people were, how, what, what was happening everywhere. And I took the tidbits of the things that I liked and the things that motivated me and inspired me. And I got rid of all the crap that I didn't like. All the I'm better than you concepts, all the comparisons between dance styles, all of the things that could make anyone feel like they're not as beautiful as they absolutely are. Because every single human being should know that they're so, they, they should be allowed to celebrate their own personal beauty. That's, that's what else is there? If you're not your own best friend, who is going to be it for you? So I wanted to create an environment where everyone could feel welcome. Everyone could feel like they're strangers. They're, they're, they're strangers are just friends you haven't met yet. Where they could feel welcome and nobody was better than the other person. There was no tier of, well, this person should be treated like this and you should be treated like crap because you're a beginner dancer. There's nothing like that. So I brought people to the same place where they could fuse that energy together. And and I chose a location that's not your average commercial hotel. It's not your Hilton. It's not, it's not, it's not. It is a locally owned amazing, really relaxed hotel who is willing to work with us on every level possible. 
And I specifically went to these dance festivals and I observed the beautiful dance instructors, not only in their classes, but in their walking down the hallways. I observed them social dancing. And I observed them social dancing with dancers who were, who were, whose levels were way beneath their levels. And I, I invited my dance instructors based on their energy, based on their positivity, based on what I felt from them, as opposed to what, what, what ranking they had. Now, it just so happens to be that some of the instructors that I chose also happen to be amazingly ranked dancers who have maintained that honest ability to be a human being and to be realistic and kind. When I was a child, I used to look up to smart, athletic, rich people. I used to look up to people who had made it, add air quotes to successfully in society. And then when I got older, I realized that that actually means jack and shit. That when it comes down to it, the true thing that inspires me is somebody who's able to be kind. Somebody who's willing and able to be kind to not only themselves, but to everyone around them. And when I find people like that, I want to work with them. And that's what the Moab Salsa Bachata Festival was built out of my desire to be kind to myself, my desire to be kind to everyone else. My father's suicide made me feel like I just wanted to hug anyone and everyone who ever felt like they were less than the most beautiful human being in this world, who misunderstood the connections that people had with them, who misunderstood the things that people have said. I just wanted to coddle everyone. And Moab Salsa Bachata Festival is my way to offer that to not only veterans, but civilians in the dance community and outside of the dance community. To feel that energy over one weekend in a beautiful location and come together and hopefully recognize that, hey, our time on this earth is pretty finite and it's pretty important. And it's kind of the only thing that really matters, our time and uh, what we choose to do with it and how we choose to, you know, express express ourselves the stories that we tell ourselves if we're if they're positive if we choose to be a positive human being then epic we have a great weekend and if you choose not to be a positive human being then hopefully you have the opportunity to see that it is a choice and you know moab salsa bachata festival is geared towards reminding you that it is a choice every single way that you choose choose to view a situation or a scenario that has happened to you, because they will always happen to you. It is an opportunity for you to choose and to be inspired to choose a more positive path and a kinder path for yourself and for everyone around you. Yeah, that's definitely the vibe that I got from being a part of your festival for the last two years. And it's been really amazing to be a part with all the other dancers that you have there at the festival because the energy definitely pulls through and shines through. And I really like what you did this year with, instead of um, during the shows, in between the shows, you had a couple of the dancers um, get on the stage and share their history of the gratitude for movement and things like that. So you just really, you walked away feeling very, very inspired, not from just the awesome dancing that you were witnessing from the performances, but then also like putting things into perspective on the flip side of just being, uh, 
grateful to move and to be alive and to be in the present moment, have two functioning legs. And despite all your shortcomings and obstacles and things like that in life, you're, you're still, you still have value, you know, and that was really awesome to, to experience there in Moab. Man. Yeah. It's just life happens. We are organic. Like we're going to die. And some people, when I say that, they say, oh, you're being so morbid. No, I'm not. <laughs> if anything, that's a positive thing, man. Like, we're, we're organic, and you got to realize it. Like, nobody on this earth gets out of dying. <laughs> nobody gets to escape that concept. Like, I, I genuinely, I've been on my deathbed. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I really, I liked the concept. I like the concept that festivals have of having jokes and lighthearted banter in between performances. Um, and that's, that's great. But what I wanted to do was really kind of get rid of that even because some of those jokes can make people feel like insecure about what they've been doing or, or how they're acting on the dance floor. And I wanted to focus it more on just absolute gratitude so i had you know joe uh dj schoolboy um from the grand canyon salsa bachata festival mm-hmm. um i had him share his story uh being a combat wounded ranger and learning to walk again and doing just about the exact same thing that i'm trying to do here in moab and of course i had you share your story about open heart surgery and inspire people and your recovery story and the concept of wow all of these dance instructors and dancers have been through things that that people don't always think about having to learn how to walk again and then choosing to continue to dance um so i think that 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 part of it was one of the one of the highlights of what i wanted to create in the festivals just palpable gratitude based on other people's situations people who are willing to share their their experiences in a way that is communicable to people so that they can genuinely feel gratitude for being a whole non-affected or affected in a relative way human being. And uh, that was the gratitude for movement piece. And I'm I'm really glad that it came out the way that it did. I heard a lot of, I was inspired by it. I watched the videos of what people had to say. And it was, it was really uplifting to see that, you know, you know, a Neo Kizomba instructor could, could almost die Mm -hmm. and choose life and could choose to use dance and, you know, or, or that somebody could wake up in a hospital after having been shot in the head in combat and learn all of those functions again and then choose the positive route of passing on a positive message. Like those, those were, um, I mean, I love the dancing and and it was a great energy, but of all the things I did with the festival, that was, that was genuinely my favorite part of Saturday night's gratitude for movement pieces. Um, and genuinely standing up and, and sharing my own story was special because I hadn't prepared it. I walked up there and um, deliberately had not prepared what I was going to say. And I walked up there and mm-hmm. 
hoped that I, I hit everything I wanted to hit with as genuine of energy as I, I as I could muster for that for that moment. And it, it came out really, 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 really positive. So all around that was definitely the highlight for me. Um yeah, so my my stay in the hospital was interesting because it began my recovery began on Veterans Day. Uh-huh. 2012. And so that's, 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 I mean, my physical therapy recovery began on Veterans Day. Like I was in the hospital and sick. I returned in October and I was sick for three weeks. They were trying to figure out what was going on with me. I was, I was checking into the hospital. I went in seven different times before they admitted me. Um, they, they rejected me a num so many, so many times. Um, because they uh, assumed because I was a combat wounded veteran that I was also a drug addict and was attempting to get painkillers. Um, they assumed that I was the pain was a figment of my imagination because nerve pain is not visible. They assumed that I was slightly psychotic because nerve pain is not visible. Yeah. Um, there was a time where I spent four and a half hours sobbing, screaming in the emergency room because they refused to see me because, well, it's the Phoenix VA clinic. It's a Phoenix VA center, and there's so many veterans that need to be seen that it just wasn't logical for them to see me within four hours. Um, but when I finally got admitted and I began my physical therapy process, it it was looking like... I was going to move into this hospital for an unspecified, unlimited amount of time. And at first, that was really scary to me. But at the same time, it was doubly scary to consider going out and being on my own and trying to learn all of this without the additional nursing home help. Because I was the youngest person living in the nursing home. And, um, you know, like, the youngest woman, I was w- one of two women in the nursing home to begin with because it's a veterans clinic, you know, there's not many of us. And then the other woman had multiple sclerosis, was going downhill quite quickly and was in her 40s. I, on the other hand, was 29 at the time and just in the hospital by myself, you know, like here I am. So I had to start making time limits and, and and goals, because if I had just gone to practice, you know, to practice my physical therapy every day, just with the only goal of moving my feet every single day, there was no, there's no, like, there's no finish line to that. So I looked at it, and I looked at the calendar, and I thought, like, what, I, what I've been a big person. I give myself gifts a lot, because, I you. I, you know, my whole life. Honestly, I I haven't necessarily had a lot of family involved where I would always, you know, get the big parties and the gifts. So I've, as a young child, I started giving myself gifts. Like as a four-year-old, I started giving myself gifts. I'm a weirdo. Hearing you say gifts makes me wonder what your love languages are. Have you taken the (laughs) test to figure out what your love languages are? Have I taken the test to figure out my love languages? Mm Mm-hmm not taking the test to find my love languages but i've been asked this question before which is making me think that maybe i should take a test and find out what my love languages are yeah and so the five love languages are physical touch 
words of affirmation, acts of service, gifts, and quality time. And more often than not, people score high in two of those. So I'll say in the link, we can share about it later, but I'm just kind of interesting to hear that because you kept saying gifts to yourself. So, Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I consider myself my best friend. Um, and so if I'm going to give gifts to my other friends, I sure as hell should probably give myself some. You know, I, <laughs> so I, um, I, 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 around four years old, I started realizing that in order, in like, you know, if I wanted to have fun, I created a game in my head. And, you know, some people might call that multiple personality disorder, but I had a good time with it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I saw this, uh, my birthday was coming up December 19th, uh, 2012 was my birthday, is my birthday, and it's coming up now. It's, um, and I, I decided that on the 19th of December, by the 19th of December, I was going to try to have a list of things completed in physical therapy that would ensure to my, to my physical therapist and to my doctors that I would be okay to, to live out on my own, on my own two feet, and continue my recovery on my own. So the list of things was I needed to be able to bend my torso enough to put my own socks and shoes on. Um, That was one of the things. I needed to be able to do a squat, a full squat. And I needed to be able to walk, to walk more than 200 feet. And I needed to be able to walk up and down a flight of stairs. It would it 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 wasn't necessary for me to be able to use the bathroom on my own because that wasn't quite you know that's not something that I could manage necessarily that was something that my my body had to figure out on its own yeah um, so I didn't set like I didn't set goals that wouldn't be manageable I set goals that that were manageable but were really really a challenge in order to manage and. What happened, you know, like I chose my birthday as the no later than date to prove that I could do all of these things so that I could give myself the gift of starting anew on my 30th birthday and give myself the gift of what I considered freedom of being able to not have to ask for permission to to drive down the street and visit with my friends because that's what I had to do at a nursing home. You have to check in and make sure that it's okay. And then they allow you to drive, you know, 20 minutes and spend an hour and a half with your friends or your family. And then they, they make you come back before your next pain dose medication or your next medication drop. Like you're, you're on a pretty strict time limit and, and a pretty uh, intense schedule for recovery when you're in that kind of shape and my whole life you know being in the military and being an active female athlete in the military I was told a lot of negative things about my physical prowess while I was in the service in the in my 20s I was told over and over again the only reason I was able to run as fast as I was was because I was young and that when I turned 30 everything would go to shit I would no longer be able to do it my life would fall apart my knees would fall apart my back would fall apart you know they had all these excuses for how society decided that I shouldn't be a good athlete I shouldn't be active nothing should happen after I'm 30 
And as a young person, I had read a whole lot of magazines, Runner's World, about and read stories about people who had begun running at 40 and then became like amazing runners. And I, I just didn't believe anything anybody had to say about me falling apart at 30 years old. So as kind of like a a way to be a contradictory human being, I chose my 30th birthday to be the date that I could leave the hospital and give myself the freedom to start my life over, essentially so that I would have to start at the absolute bottom mm-hmm. as a 30-year-old. Absolute bottom. So, so for the rest of my 30s, every single day that I got stronger – Every single day that I got a little bit better at balance or I did a new thing, I was able to hold my bladder a little bit longer or I was able to make it through the night without muling in pain and like spasming all night, that that would be a victory, you know, and, and it would be this this constant reflection of how sh- much stronger I was getting day to day as opposed to how much my body was falling apart in my 30s. So... I did that. I worked my butt off the entire month of November, the entire first half of December to get myself to the to the position where I could physically leave my wheelchair behind at the hospital and 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 just not look back at it. I and, hear you. Yeah, and walk out on a walker. And that's what I did. And it was it was such an amazing gift. I was in tears walking out. You know, it was painful. Yes, I was in tears from pain. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but I was also in tears from just gratitude because I was on my two feet and I was on a walker. Yeah, but I was I did it, you know. And after I was um, released from the hospital, I... I went to this park behind the hospital where I, I used to go every day. Um, they had a rose garden back there, and there's a tiny little hill that I had decided that I would walk up that hill, and that was going to be my, like, big deal. Like, it, to me, it was sort of like when you're five years old and you're – your house looks like a mansion. And then when you're 20, you go back and look at it and you're like, whoa, we were in a single wide trailer, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So like I saw this, this hill every day and it was this mountain to me because I was, I was not able to walk very well. And I was like, man, I'm going to get up that hill. I'm going to get up that hill and I'm going to just smile and laugh on top of that hill and cry. And then I'm going to come down the hill and it's, it's, that's going to be my thing, you know? And on my birthday, I did that. I walked up the hill and I got a video of it. I walked up the hill and I almost lost my balance a couple times, but I, I made it up the hill, you know, and and I made it back down. And and it was one of the most like powerful moments in my life. Yeah, I walked out of that hospital in the most I walked around my hips. I couldn't I couldn't walk like a nor. I walked very awkwardly out of that hospital, leaning very heavily on my walker. But I, I walked, man. I wasn't in a wheelchair. I was on my own two feet. And then after that, I walked up that hill. And so what I've done <laughs> every year after mm-hmm. that, I've, uh, I've celebrated my birthday. My birthday's coming up. This will be four years. I my can't birthday believe. was just on the 11th, so it's awesome to hear this. 
happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, you know, my birthday's coming up. I've got six more days today. Uh, and uh, on December 19th, I walked out. And uh, I walked up that hill. And then, and then I, I didn't visit Phoenix until just the beginning of this year. I went down there for your workshops, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. You remember when you were I down remember. there? I remember. I remember. And I had this moment where I was like, man, I haven't been in Phoenix since I was paralyzed here in Phoenix. And it was this incredibly emotional realization. And I sat down and I, and I had this moment of, I, I have recorded footage of most of my recovery in the hospital of me trying to walk and me failing at it, me trying to move my legs and me falling, me doing squats and not getting up. Like I have video footage of this. And so I thought it would be really nice if I would be able to go back to that hill and dance on top mm, of it. That's awesome. So I, I, I pulled Brandon Odom aside, who's also a veteran, mm-hmm. who was a veteran at the dance uh, at the festival this year. Um, that's one of my instructors. I, I pulled him aside and I asked him, I told him the story in a short version. And I said, Brandon, would you, would you like to be part of this? Like, would you, would it be a possibility that you would wake up a little early and meet me out at this park and go to the top of this hill and dance a bachata with me on top of this hill? Because it's so important to me that that hill played such a part in my recovery. Mm-hmm. I looked every day and I wished and I hoped and I pined to be able to get up that hill. And he said yes. And the next day, after all your workshops and dancing all night at that social, we went up to that hill. And I I, I jogged up that hill. Nice. <laughs> yeah, right? I jogged up that hill. And I got, and and we danced a bachata on top of that hill. And, 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 and by the way, that hill was totally tiny. Like when I went back and I looked at it, that hill's nothing, man. It's a total like, oh my gosh, we did live in a single wide trailer. Yeah. It was itty bitty. It was not much of a hill at all. But it was such a moment of like, of accomplishment, you know, a full circle. To be able to get up there, dance a bachata with completely renewed gratitude that I could do it, you know, on top of this hill with this dance instructor. I, it was just, it, it was amazing, amazing, amazing feeling. And so I guess like every year I get to remember this gift that I've given myself on my birthday. My birthday means so much more to me now than 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 it ever has in the past. Like, For I have sure. enjoyed dancing. I've enjoyed my birthday. My birthday's been great. But, like, every year now, it's like, yes, I get to be alive this year. And, yes, I got to walk out of that damn hospital on this day, like, four years ago. And to me, that is just, it's, it's so amazing. good. Yeah, <laughs> and to, have, so to be good. overwhelmed with a feeling of gratitude, you know, it's, it's a really beautiful thing. And I I really love everything that you've shared with us here on the podcast so far. Truly inspirational and remarkable. And I'm I'm sure like a lot of people won't look um, at the dancing the same way again after hearing your story. 
Um, so what I like to do now, because um, I know we're getting close to the hour mark with the podcast, is I'd like to allow you to share a positive, inspirational message for our listeners. And then we'll find out how people can reach you. And then we'll say goodbye for the podcast. Ha. Oh, goodness. My inspirational message. Short mm. and sweet. Short and sweet. Mm-hmm. Value your time above all else. Value it because it is the only real thing that you own in this world. If I had sat still for the last four years in a wheelchair, I would still be in a wheelchair. Period. If you choose to not work on the skill that you want to get better at, you will not get better. If you do not dedicate time to your goals, you will not reach your goals. If you think money is the solution and you'll use your time just to get money no matter how, you will not be happy. Find something beautiful to do with your time that ignites your soul and makes you happy. That is my inspirational message because without focusing and understanding how finite your time is, it's guaranteed you're going to waste it. Yeah, and you, can, you definitely yeah. can't waste your time. Mm-mm. A lot of people have goals of what they want. Make a plan and spend some time on it. That's awesome. That's, all. Yeah, that's it. Time. All right, Rita, and what would be the best way for people to reach out to you? The best way to reach out to me is, geez, dancemoab at gmail.com is my email. You can find information about the Moab Salsa Bachata Festival at bailando, B-A-I-L-A-N-D-O, with a view.com. Or on Facebook, Moab Salsa Bachata Festival, or Dance Moab on Facebook. I'm also Hurricane Rita on Facebook. And I have a website. It's slightly outdated, but I'm about to update it. Tomorrow's Not Guaranteed.com. And that has a lot of my recovery story. There's no apostrophe in tomorrow's. It's T O M O R R O W S N O T, not. Guaranteed, G-U-A-R-A-N-T-E-E-D.com. And I chose that title because I'm a linguist and it makes me giggle when people misspell guaranteed. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, like I said, do things that entertain you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and if, if, if anybody is inspired, if you have a story of how you've overcome something incredibly challenging or not even if you're just inspired and you just want to share a story i love hearing people's stories i love talking to people about what they've been through and sharing anecdotal thoughts about what we could do to better the world i love what we did with gratitude for movement and i would like to invite any any amazing human being with a story to contact me with their story and potentially be featured in this year's Salsa Moab Salsa Bachata Festival's Gratitude for Movement piece. 
Um, the festival this year will be November 9th through 12th, 2017 at the Moab Valley Inn yet again. And we're going to be we're going to be doing gratitude for movement pieces instead of just Saturday night because Saturday will be Veterans Day. We're also going to do our veterans tribute. We're going to be doing gratitude for movement pieces every night. So we'll be featuring different people who have just amazing stories all weekend long. There'll be space for at least 12 stories. So if there's anyone with any beautiful thing to say, contact me with their email, their information, dancemoab at gmail.com. And let's let's inspire some people together. Guys, come on. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> They'll definitely be awesome to be there at the event again next year. So Absolutely. I really I really appreciate all your enthusiasm towards life and being positive and overcoming obstacles and being grateful to be alive and being able to move and it's definitely something that sometimes we take for granted but hearing stories like yours definitely puts things into the right perspective you know so thank you so much for your time um it's awesome hearing your story and i'll be excited to see how your site and all your future endeavors unfold yeah thanks for giving me the opportunity to share my story charles i really appreciate it Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey. Pay the last.